Anybody remember what those all are? How they're how they're different? Can't say that I do. I could read it because the purport's here. Anyway. From his shadow, Brahma created the coverings of ignorance, and they are five in number. The text number 19. I'll read the Sanskrit. If I if I can. Visasajardatmana Kayam Nabhinandangstamomayam Jagrihur Yaksharakshansi Ratring Shutrit Samudavan Translation Out of disgust Brahma threw off the body of ignorance and took this opportunity in taking this opportunity. Yakshas and Rakshasas sprang for possession of the body, which continued to exist in the form of night. Night is a source of hunger and thirst. So I take it as some kind of subtle covering that Rama threw off. Out of gut, out of disgust, Brahma threw off the body of ignorance and taking this opportunity, Yakshas and Rakshasas sprang for possession of the body, which continued to exist in the form of night. Night is a source of hunger and thirst. Text number 20. Shutridhyam upashrishtaste tamjagdhum abhidu druvaha druvuhu Marakshatainam jak shadvam ityuchu shutrid ardita. So let's can do the word meanings here. Shutrid byam by hunger and thirst. Upashrishta. Upashrishta. Very good, Deroji. You must be looking at it. We're overcome. We're overcome. Te, the demons, rakshas and rakshasas. The demons, yuksas and rakshasas. Tum, Lord Brahma. Jagdhum, to eat. Abhidu druvuhu, ran toward. Ma, do not. Rakshata, Spare. Spare. Enam. Him. Jakshadvam. Eat. Iti. Thus. Uchuhu. Said. Shutrit Ardita. Afflicted by hunger and thirst. Translation and purport, short purport by His Divine Grace, Sri Prabhupada. Overpowered by hunger and thirst, they ran to devour, to, to devour Brahma from all sides and cried, Spare him not, eat him up. Please repeat, overpowered by hunger and thirst, they ran to devour Brahma. From all sides. And cried, Spare him not, eat him up. Purport. 
The representatives of the yakshas and rakshasas still exist in some countries of the world. It is understood that such uncivilized men take pleasure in killing their own grandfathers and holding a love feast by roasting the bodies. Is that in Africa that Prabhupada talked to them about that in some lecture where they have, you know, just like it says here, they kill their own grandfathers when they get old and useless, they have a feast. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, Om Ajnanativanandasya Gyanjana Shalakaya Chakshuru Miritanyam Tasmai Shri Gavayam Was born in the darkest of ignorance, our spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada. His opening my eyes with a torchlight of knowledge out from our respectful obeisance unto him and all members of Sri Prabhupada. So I was curious to know about these Rakshasas and Yakshas or to be reminded of what I had heard in the past and had a vague memory of. These beings come up a few times in the, in the Srimad Bhagavatam and they also play a pretty important part in the Mahabharata war. Um, speaking of the Mahabharata, there was one famous protagonist in the Mahabharata. If you can answer this, Emil Prabhu. Do you know, do you know the stories in the Mahabharata pretty well? So one of the important protagonists married a Rakshasa. And this turned out to be a really uh, auspicious thing to happen. And you wouldn't think, but of course, the Lord has his plan. <laughs> you know who, who I'm talking about. Bhima. Yeah, Bhima married a Rakshasa. Yeah. Rakshasi. He didn't marry a Rakshasa, he married a Rakshasi. Yeah. Rakshasa is a male. Kadimba. Bhima. Kadimba. 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 Because she had a brother the same name. He, he must be Kadimba. No. Kadimbi. She's Kadimbi. Um, yeah, he was the one that turned out to be important on the, the 14th day of the battle. He was just the 14th day of the battle of the uh, battle of Kurukshetra. It's like a whole epic in itself. It's like a whole book. <laughs> so many details are there in, in the Mahabharata. And this Kutak. So he was the son of Bhima and Hidimbi. And uh, his name means his head looked, he was bald, that's part of the name. And, and his head looked like some this ancient percussion instrument in, in South India made out of clay. It's a pot with these square sides and has a, you know, a neck and a lip. It's a percussion instrument. It looks like a pot, a clay pot. <laughs> he had a head like, he had a bunch of terrible teeth. 
And, uh, huh? Yeah, Gotham. That's the name of the pot that they, they, they use as an instrument. It's one of the most ancient percussion instruments from what I understand about that. Anyway. Well, Karna was, uh, he was uh, one of the most invincible warriors on the side of the Corvus. And uh, he had a vendetta against Arjuna. He planned to kill Arjuna in the battle. Indra was the father of Arjuna and wanted to protect him, so he came down and tricked Karna into giving up his armor. Karna was born with body armor, right? You know about that. Yeah. <laughs> Karna was actually the son of who? Anybody know? Son, son. The sun god. Yeah. And who was the mother? Kunti Devi. Kunti Devi. Also the mother of the Pandavas. Somehow, oh, well, what happened was Kunti Devi was given this boon as a young girl. She was this beautiful, uh, intelligent, uh, very intelligent young girl who had the opportunity to serve this yogi, Durvasamuni. And um, he stayed for, he's famous for uh, becoming angry and cursing people if he's, you know, annoyed in the slightest way. Anyway, he comes to visit in the home where Kunti's living and they, they offer this Kunti, this young girl, to serve him. And over a period of, I don't know, time, how long she served him. But he was so pleased with everything that she did that he gave her this boon. Anybody know what the boon was? To receive children from each of them, primary name Very good. So what happened after that? She tried it. She tried it. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah, she had a mantra, and she decided to test it out. And what happened? She got pregnant. Well, yeah. Sun God came. Sun God came, yeah. She's like, oh, no, I'm just kidding. And he's like, no, Yeah, I can't do this. I'm a young girl. I'll, you know, it'll ruin my reputation. And, you know, he says, well, you called me. This has to happen. So, but he has a way to, that he can impregnate her without it showing from, you know, her body hurting her virginity, whatever. So she in secret has this baby, which turns out to be Karna, this great warrior who's going to fight on the wrong side and vow to kill Arjuna. And uh, so anyway, Indra yeah, trying like to... like the story of Moses. Yes, yeah, just like that. On a little raft in the river. Yeah, at some point she just set him afloat and, you know... She, uh, I think she hated to do that, but this baby. And, uh, but it was born with body armor and earrings and different things, really unusual baby. And it was found by um, a fellow who worked as a charioteer in uh, something in the royal palace. But he was, uh, you know, a lower, is that a shudra type of job? So he was raised by these people. They were very pious, from what I remember, but they... Karna had this, uh, he didn't find out until almost the, the Kurukshetra war as, a, as an adult that his parents were actually Kunti Devi and the demigod Surya. 
but he had fantastic strength and fighting ability. He was also a, a great speaker, from what I understand. And, uh, but he had this great love for Duryodhana, and he wanted to kill Arjuna, so he was tricked. Now, why am I getting off into this? So the Rakshas and, Shaks, Rakshas and Rakshasas are so interesting because they fought on both sides of the Mahabharata, or, yeah, Mahabharata war. And like I said, this Rakshasa Gatocha, actually it was half and half. It was, his mother was a Rakshasi, Kidimbi. Um, so, uh, I have some notes here. I just want to see if I had something I wanted to. And these Rakshasas are, uh, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to do is read this. Just to kind of get a flavor for what these these Rakshasas are like in this section of the Mahabharata uh, where Bhima marries this Rakshasi. After the Pandavas were, after they escaped from this house of lack, which burned up and they escaped through the tunnel, they were wandering in the forest and I think they became very tired and this Rakshasi was a king of this area. Rakshasa, and he, this is how Bhima got married to a Rakshasa. He told his sister, Hidimbi, go out and kill these Pandavas and bring them back to me so I can have them for my food. So she went out, but she saw Bhima, who's the biggest one and the strongest and probably the, I don't know, he's not, well anyway, she falls madly in love with, with Bhima. <laughs> and she won't, she persists that he has to marry her, and he, she has to marry him. And the Tokyo can't refuse, right? Right. Yeah. I forget how it goes. They try to talk, talk Kadimi out of it. Now, why is that? Who tried to talk her out of it? Yeah, somehow they, they don't want uh, Hidimbi to marry Bhima. But they make a deal at the end that, that, uh, that he, he can sport with her in the gardens during the day and then come back home at night. And she continues to do this until they conceive a child. And somehow it's in the... It also... There's a deal that if he that he can just uh, be her husband until the child is born and then he can leave, uh, something like that. So um, there's this section in here that just kind of gives you a, an idea of how the Rakshas are. It says, thereafter Hidembi took a beautiful human form and sported with Bhima in various heavenly forests, mountains, and riverbanks until she finally begot a son. This is one thing, the, the Rakshasas and Yakshas, these are like described as out-of-control demons a lot of times, but actually they have a lot of powers and they're considered much more elevated than ordinary human beings like us in terms of 
material powers. This child was exceedingly fearful to look at with his pointed ears and sharp teeth, and he grew up within the very hour which he was born. Indeed, this was the same day on which he was conceived, for this is the way of the Rakshasas. Pretty amazing. <laughs> this wonderful child possessed prowess that excelled all the other Rakshasas, and because he was bald, his parents gave him the name Gatotkacha, the pot-headed one. Thereafter, in spite, of his, in spite of his ghastly appearance, Gatotkacha became a favorite of the Pandavas. And indeed, he was almost considered to be their sixth brother. Hmm. Soon after delivering the child, Hidimbi departed, and then Gatotkacha also took his leave after promising Bhima that he would come to him whenever thought of. Actually, Gatotkacha was a special creation of Indra for the purpose of becoming a fit match for Karna. Indra knew that Karna would possess, would possess his invincible dart, so he made this arrangement to protect his beloved son, Arjuna. So anyway, anybody that's interested can read, read that. And uh, by the way, there was, uh, because I looked you know, on the internet, called up the Rakshasas and Yakshas. And the first thing that came up was this uh, conversation between one of the ISKCON artists and Srila Prabhupada. Murlidhar was drawing so many things and Prabhupada was giving him advice how to, to portray you know, different types of demigods and people. Um, it was interesting that he I saw him there that a lot of times the kings normally they have mustaches for some reason in Vedic times. They don't have beards. So Srila Prabhupada had to tell the artist this. He said, so when you paint Dhruva Maharaj, you can paint him with a mustache, but he's Vaishnava. So you have to you know, you have to do kind of both. You have to recognize that he's Vaishnava, but you can also give him a mustache. Because he's a king. And Murlidhar, he was saying he was asking the question, how to portray the Rakshasas and Yakshas? Sri Prabhupada said, there's nothing particular looking, but there's nothing peculiar looking about Yakshas and Rakshasas. They are meat eaters. Just as meat eaters in the ordinary world do not look different. So that's um, interesting to think about. And another point is that for devotees, actually, there's no reason to be to fear these kind of beings like Rakshasas and Yakshas. There's a place in the tenth um, canto, actually. What is this? This is the section in chapter six of the tenth canto where a Putana Rakshasa <coughs> comes to go cool killing babies and is going to look for Krishna and try to kill him also. And in there there's a uh, section where in the third child read this third verse. Actually I can start from the beginning. Shukadeva Goswami said, My dear king, while Nanda Maharaj was on the way home, he considered that what Vasudeva had said could not be false or useless. 
there was some warning from Krishna's father Vasudeva about things that were going to happen. And there must have been some danger of disturbances in Gokul as Nanda Maharaj thought about the danger for his beautiful son Krishna. He was afraid and he took shelter at the lotus feet of the Supreme Controller. Sri Prabhupada comments that whenever there is danger, the pure devotee thinks of the protection and shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This is also advised in Bhagavad Gita. 933, Anitya Masukam, Lokam Imam Prapya, Bajasva Mam. In this material world, there is danger at every step, Padam Padam Yad Vipadam. Therefore, a devotee has no other recourse than to take shelter of the Lord at every step. So, where we are in the Srimad Bhagavatam, these Yakshas and Rakshasas, they want to devour Brahma. Does anybody know how Brahma handles this? Does anybody have a good read ahead? Huh? Yeah, that comes along. I'm not sure how, how that happens, but... Well, I don't want to read the next verse, that's for tomorrow. But as was stated recently, Lord Brahma is a Mahajan, he's a head of our Sampradaya. In some places, uh, Srila Prabhupada states that the demigods are not exactly pure devotees. Maharaj Ambarish is an example of a pure devotee who was confronted by a huge demon who was coming to kill him, this firewall, this fire demon. And Ambarish just faced him down. And uh, the uh, Sudarshan Chakra came and he had to flee the demon. So uh, there's that. Now here Lord Brahma is confronted by these demons that want to devour him. What's he going to do? Actually, according to this statement, I'm going to just read. Where is that? Did I read Bhaktivinam Thakur's statement? No, I think I just read that there cannot be any danger from bad elements. Therefore, there is no need for anxiety while the Supreme Personality of Godhead was personally present. Purport Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur has sung Namashraya Kariyatane Tumi Takaha Apana Kaji. Everyone is thus advised to seek shelter in the chanting of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra and remain engaged in his own occupational duty. There is no loss in this, and the gain is tremendous. Even from a material point of view, everyone should take to chanting the Hare Krishna mantra to be saved from all kinds of danger. This world is full of danger. So I did read that. Padam, padam, vidyad, vipadam. Therefore, we should be encouraged to chant the Hare Krishna Maha mantra so that our family, society, neighborhood, and nation, and everything will be smooth and free from danger. Um, let me see here. There's another interesting line or two in the purport that actually the next verse says, Once upon a time Putana Rakshasi, who could move according to her desire and was wandering in outer space, converted herself by mystic power into a very beautiful woman and thus entered Gokul, the abode of Nanda Maharaj. 
Srila Prabhupada says, Rakshasis learn mystic powers by which they can travel in outer space without machines. In some parts of India there are still such mystical witches who can sit on a stick and use it to fly from one place to another in a very short time. Still in India. This art was known to Putana, assuming the feature of a very beautiful woman, she entered Nanda Maharaj's abode, Gokul. Putanarakshasi's heart was fierce and cruel, but she looked like a very affectionate mother. Um, Lord Krishna was not angry with Putana for his own sake. Rather, he was angry because the Rakshasi had killed so many small children in Brajabhumi. Therefore, he decided that she should be punished by having to forfeit her life. This is interesting in text 12 of chapter 6. As Putana screamed loudly and forcefully after she was being bitten by Krishna, the earth with its mountains and outer space with its planets trembled. The lower planets in all directions vibrated. The people fell down, fearing that thunderbolts were falling upon them. The kind of disturbance that can be created by these beings which are so powerful materially. And yet a devotee has a power over them simply by such things as engaging in devotional service and chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. Anybody have any comments? Yeah, those witches are called Keturi. Mm-hmm. Mm. Keturi. And then in the, in the West we have this tradition of folklore of witches that can cry out and fly in the most Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely from there, huh? Um, another thing I was thinking about was how it says in the text that we read that these yakshas and rakshasas were overpowered by hunger and thirst. By the way, where is where are yakshas mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita? Anybody know? Yakshas and rakshasas. Krishna says of rakshasas and rakshasas. Yeah, so the king of these people is Kuvera, who is control of the wealth of the, the demigods. Mm-hmm. And uh, Prabhupada has commented that no one can become a king without pleasing Kuvera. Been hearing uh, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that, you know, this king Pratapa who was a great devotee, pure devotee, loved Lord Chaitanya so much and had to see the Lord Chaitanya. But Lord Chaitanya refused and said, if you ever ask this thing of me again, I will leave, I will quit Jagannath Puri and live somewhere else. And the devotees oh no, please don't do that. <laughs> so Lord Chaitanya said that uh, for a sannyasi to meet a king is worse than Anybody know what he said? Uh, I think it said worse than drinking poison. poison. Drinking poison, something like that. So I always, I always kind of wondered about that. Why is it, you know? Contaminating. Why is it so contaminating? Because the king is a big sense gratifier. Sinyasi is completely Yeah. It only doesn't and apparently they're connected, most ordinary materialistic kings are connected with this 
King Kuvera, they have to have pleased him, and he is the king of these Yakshas and Rakshas, uh, people who are, in certain ways, they are so uh, materially uh, obsessed, you know, with their senses that they can't even, they, they have no self-control. Overpowered by hunger and thirst, they ran to devour Rama from all sides and cried, spare him not. So there's this verse that was quoted the other time. Um, it said, this is uh, Narad Muni speaking to King Pachina Barhish. It's that one that you may remember. Oh, he tells him, O King, one should live in a place where the great Acharyas speak about the transcendental activities of the Lord. Anybody remember that? Um, if one eager, oh, no. And one should give oral reception to the nectarian river that flows from the moonlight faces of such great personalities. If one eagerly continues to hear such transcendental activities, then certainly he will be freed from all material hunger, thirst, as well as all other illusions of material existence. So this is a, a difference the devotees are seeking. You know, Vedic culture actually is, is meant for people to become devotees and to escape from the cycle of birth and death. So the important thing is to learn to control your senses, not to be out of control when your senses are aggravating you. Um, see, that's... Uh, I was thinking I could read, if we had time, some verses around that from the fourth canto. Sorry, I'm wandering around here a little bit, but I just had a bunch of notes and I'm trying to get them organized. <laughs> Chapter 29, 26, and 7. This is a devotee version of, of life as compared to the situation of the yakshas and rakshasas. Who are mm, contaminated to a large degree by the mode of ignorance. But this is a dangerous situation, as Srila Prabhupada told us. The modes of passion and ignorance are dangerous. So I'm going to read a few of these verses which are nice and explain. A lot of things in philosophy here. The living entity by nature has minute independence to choose his own good or bad fortune. But when he forgets his supreme master, the personality of Godhead, he gives himself up unto the modes of material nature. Being influenced by the modes of material nature, he identifies himself with the body and for the interest of the body becomes attached to various activities. Sometimes he's under the influence of the mode of ignorance, sometimes the mode of passion. Sometimes the mode of goodness, the living entity, thus gets different types of bodies under the modes of material nature. Covered by the mode of ignorance in material nature, the living entity is sometimes a male, sometimes a female, sometimes a eunuch, sometimes a human being, sometimes a demigod, sometimes a bird, an animal, and so on. In this way, he is wandering within the material world. His acceptance of different types of bodies is brought about by his activities under the influence of the modes of nature. 
A living entity is exactly like a dog who, overcome with hunger, goes from door to door for some food. According to his destiny, he, see, he sometimes receives punishment and is driven out, and at other times receives a little food to eat. Similarly, the living entity being influenced by so many desires wanders in different species of life according to destiny. Sometimes he is high, sometimes he is low. Sometimes he goes to the heavenly planets, sometimes to hell, sometimes to the middle planets, and so on. It says, the living entities are trying to counteract different miserable conditions pertaining to providence. Other living entities or the body and mind. Still, they must remain conditioned by the laws of nature despite all attempts to counter these laws. A man may carry a burden on his head and when he feels it to be too heavy, he sometimes gives relief to his head by putting the burden on his shoulder. In this way, he tries to relieve himself of the burden. However, whatever process he devises to counteract the burden does nothing more than put the same burden from one place to another. Um, so it goes on and then we get to that verse O best of kings one who is faithful who is always hearing the glories of the supreme personality of Godhead who is always engaged in the culture of Krishna consciousness and in hearing the Lord's activities very soon becomes eligible to see the supreme personality of Godhead face to face then there's the verses I already quoted which are stated a little differently here my dear king, in the place where pure devotees live, following the rules and regulations, thus purely conscious and engaged with great eagerness in hearing and chanting the glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, in that place, if one gets a chance to hear their constant flow of nectar, which is exactly like the waves of a river, one will forget the necessities of life, namely hunger and thirst, and become immune to all kinds of fear, lamentation, and illusion. So apparently these yakshas and rakshasas, even though they have so many powers, mystic abilities, even magical powers, we see that they're be overcome by hunger, hunger and thirst to do something abominable by turning on Lord Brahma. Um, still, their, their life is, uh, how do you say it, mm, su subject to misery and distress that that a pure devotee does not uh, become affected by in the same way. Because the conditioned soul is always disturbed by the bodily necessities, necessities such as hunger and thirst, he has very little time to cultivate attachment to hearing the nectarian words of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Interesting. So are you not just yeah, they are, but they can apparently, in certain circumstances, they can have enough mode of goodness to to be on the side of the Pandavas, for instance, in this Mahabharata war. Well, he was in this Gatoksha, huh? But he was the half, half three. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, also Vibhishan, he was a Rakshasa. He was a brother of Radha, and he came over to Rome. So I mean, he was. Yeah. So apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they can do that. But usually, if, when you hear, like there's a, a, a verse in the 11th chapter of the Gita, Rakshansi Bhitani Dishodravanti. Yeah. 
The demons flee, flee in fear. fear. Uh -huh. And when they hear your holy name. That's a good verse. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Arjuna speaks that after seeing the universal yeah. form. So, well, I guess it depends on the circumstance, huh? Apparently so. Well, that's like us, humans. We're demoniac or divine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you stop on 21 per court? You finished 21 per court? I finished 20, so 21 is the next. Oh, 21 is the next. Yeah. Verses are going to bring it back to devotional service. And did you mention where did Prophet said in the previous purport there's still places where they eat their grandfathers? Yeah, there's. Today's I think there's some yeah. place in Africa where people did. Is it? Yeah. Where did, what were you saying, Georgie? I said today's purport. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I just read. So there's still cannibals, in other words, mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. Not so that. many anymore, but still a few. Yeah. Papua New Guinea. Hmm. Still. Yeah. Forty-six. Take two. I'm sorry. Africa also. Africa also. Not just. Yeah. I think so. I think that's what I heard. Hmm. That's amazing. That's a human species, but pretty low on the human scale. Mm. I think that's about all I had brought here. <laughs> I'm not going to wade into the others. There's some stuff about Drew Maharaj when he fought with the Yakshas. It's not really that illuminating about it as far as describing these types of people, but um, well, that that tells the part about how Kubera is a treasure of the demigods whose only business is to supply immense riches to persons within this materialistic world. Um, He's described as the king of kings because unless one is blessed by Kuvera, one cannot become a king. The king of kings personally offered Drew Maharaj any amount of riches, but he declined to accept them. Therefore, he is described as a Mahamatihi, very thoughtful or highly intellectual. Drew Maharaj. <laughs> he was. The Yakshas killed Drew, his brother. And he became angry? Swan. What is it? Swan. Yeah, one brother. Just so one brother. He wanted to wipe out the whole Yaksha race for one. So some people had to, some demigods had to talk Drew out of it? That I was, think Rama. Maybe Swan or Rama too. I yeah, I think. Yeah. Right. Anyway, the Yakshas aren't really described too well. I don't know who. There's going to be something tomorrow said to tell the difference between Yakshas and Rakshas. Anyway, anybody have any more comments or corrections? I think there's a separation in them that both 
the Yakshas and Rakshasas want to annihilate Brahma, mm -hmm. but some of them can be identified with wanting to annihilate him before the creation of the universe. Say it again. But some of them want to annihilate Brahma before the universe was created and the others during. Oh. Hmm. Okay, we'll find out. I think some more tomorrow. Yeah, some purport. Good. Pancharachana Bhagavatam Kijai Shri Bhagavatam Kijai. They're both eager for Brahma's body of ignorance. They're both eager for Brahma's body of ignorance. Oh. Yeah, that was the 19th. Out of disgust, Brahma threw off the body of ignorance, and taking this opportunity, Yakshas and Rakshas sprang. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.